Welcome to Poets and Writers. We've got a great show for you today. Folks, we're going to do a rerun, but this is going to be something that is very personal to me, and I want to share this with you. We have Jewel C. Spock. Jewel passed away several months ago at 98 years of age, and you heard him on this show when I interviewed him about, well, it was several years ago, and he we talked about his life and his war experience, and he went on to become a missionary, and he's a person you met, and he could make you feel 10 feet tall and about... A minute or so. So first of all, I want you to hear the last thing he ever said to me when I was visiting him in assisted living, and then I want you to hear the interview. Jewel C. Spock. Hello, Pat. Hey, this is Jewel Spock here, and a dear friend of your husband. I remember him, I guess, about how many years ago? 61 years ago. 61 years ago. How about that? He was he was just beginning his lifestyle, and he was a, he became a rather famous person. <laughs> and now I've gotten old. I'm 98 years old. Can you believe it? Welcome to Poets and Writers. This is Henry McCarthy coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus, WEHC 90.7, and we're very pleased today to have on Poets and Writers. A very good man and a very good writer. You're going to enjoy him very much, Jewel C. Spock. So welcome to Poets and Writers, Jewel Spock. Well, thanks. It's great to be here with you today and to see you again after a long, long time, Henry. Well, we go way back to about, I guess, about 1961. Was that the year it was? I remember up at Glade Valley. We were at a camp up there, and you were just a young boy, and I was dreaming of my future there as well at that time. Well, you were a very good influence on all of us there. This was a, uh, for the listeners out there, this was a camp like we used to go to in the summertime, and it was a Presbyterian camp. That's right, that's right. And I was getting ready to go to the mission field, if I'm not mistaken, about that time as a Presbyterian missionary. Well, now, as we like to ask on Poets and Writers, where are you from, Jewel? Uh, I'm, I grew up here in Winston-Salem. You grew it's my up hometown. Here. I, I started out here, and that I can be happy to say I'm ending up right here in that same spot. Every road comes home. All right, and you were Spock is a name that we associate with uh, the Moravians, is that right? And goes back in the history, a long way in the history of Winston Salem. That's right. In fact, we can trace our ancestry back to where they came over from Pofftown, over in Czechoslovakia. Adam Spock, he built an old stone house out in the south side of town, and that's, that's where our ancestors began, right there. Well, I know the listeners to Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7, have... I'm sure a number of them have visited Old Salem, so you go way back to Old Salem. Yeah, in fact, Adam Spock was one of the founders of Old Salem right in the very beginning, back in the 1700s. Okay, now you grew up here and you went to high school here, is that right? Went to Reynolds High School. Reynolds High School. Do you remember any teachers who had a positive or a negative influence on you, Joel? I'm thinking out loud, I remember Janie Weaver, Mm -hmm. for one, and... And, you know, the thing I remember most about her when we were signing in our annuals at the end of the year, she wrote in this, Jewel Spock, if you just quit fooling around and pay attention to studies and not stay in trouble all the time, you might end up being somebody. That's what she wrote in our book for us as a lesson to us. Well, that was quite a reference, and you <laughs> did go on. You became, we're going to get to, you've had uh, 
Ladies and gentlemen out there listening today, Joel has had a very interesting life, and he was also moderator of the Presbyterian Church at one time. Is that not correct? Yes, that was somewhat of a miracle, to tell you the truth. I had been in Brazil for 25 years, and uh, a group of people here in America kept asking me if I would run for the role of, of moderator of the Presbyterian Church. Uh, the first time they asked me, I turned it down. But four years later, they called me up again in Brazil and asked me to reconsider. So I accepted, came home, and uh, they hardly even knew me here as far as I could see because it was only two weeks before we had the meeting. But somehow I got elected, and I became the moderator of the Presbyterian Church in 1976. And for one wonderful year, traveled all over the country speaking uh, in our churches there, the Presbyterian Churches of the South. Well, Joel, let's talk about your book now, because in that book, you basically, that is a, an autobiography, correct? It's, that is correct, yes. And, it, and what's the title of your book? Every Road Leads Home. All right, let's talk a little bit about it. Every Road Leads Home. What okay. are your themes in it? Say that again. What are your themes in it? What, what's, uh, tell us a little bit about it. I know it's a very interesting book. Well, Henry, tell you the truth, I'd never written a book in my life, and for years, a buddy of mine from VMI, where I went to college before the Second World War, he kept insisting that that I, I do write a, a book because I had become the moderator of the Presbyterian Church. And my role here in Winston-Salem growing up was one kind of a, let's say, a big hellraiser. I was in trouble all the time. And so he kept pestering, pestering me until I finally sat down, okay, I'll try to do it. i never written a book in my life. A buddy of mine from Georgia Tech, fraternity brother, he gave me a house down on the Pacific, uh, on the coast, uh, in the Pacific, oh no, not the Pacific, excuse me, on the Gulf Coast. And I went down there, and for about six weeks, I began to write. I didn't have any plan. I just began to write the story of my life. And it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing how thoughts come back to you that you had completely forgotten about. And so I began to write, and I furiously would write all morning long. And then my wife and I would go out and play on the beach in the afternoon. And after six weeks, I had this huge stack of, of papers that written in pencil that I'd written on paper. One of my children typed it up for me, and I began to read it back, and I suddenly realized how wonderful life had been to me from the time that I started out as a kid here in Winston-Salem, we always in trouble, to where here I was now retired and settling down. And so I titled that book, Every Road Leads Home, because I came back to Winston-Salem to live the last days of my life. We were discussing that earlier about T.S. Eliot, and he has a poem saying basically the same thing. You know, we start out, we travel, we travel in our minds, we travel physically, and then it leads us back to where we began. So, that's, and I think Robert Frost addresses that in one of his poems. That's exactly right, and it's the, I discover if you can have that experience in your life, you're in for a real blessing. The, some of the best years of our lives really have been those that we're right here. In Winston Salem, right now, in our retirement. Well, now, in your book, uh, you talk about uh, being a prisoner of war. You're a World War II veteran, Joel, and talk. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that experience and how that impacted on you? I think you were 18 years old when you were 
shot down in in is that not correct Henry that's right you know as I mentioned talking with you I was at VMI and uh, the Second World War had been going on and so as soon as I got to be 18 right then why all the the different sectors of the of the forces came there trying to uh, recruit us the coast guard the air force the, the infantry the navy you name it and so i joined while i was still just 18 years old i joined and wanted to become a pilot in the air force i was already a second lieutenant and the and a commander of a four-engine bomber when i was still 18 years old that's how desperately they needed people uh, to go to get into combat because we were losing the war both in the Pacific and in Europe. So I went over overseas. I was stationed with the uh, 15th Air Force. And on my fifth mission, I was shot down. And in the process of that, I began to have a tremendous number of experiences trying to escape from the Germans. I was free for just a little over a day and a half. And then I got caught. I was carried to a prison camp. And in the prison camp during the year, almost the year that I spent there, I began to have a series of real serious experiences, realizing how important life was. We had a wonderful chaplain there. He was a Scot named Murdo MacDonald. And there were, were 2,000 of us in our camp. And every Sunday, it was fascinating. You would just fight to get there in that little chapel that we had to hear him as we would teach us. And it was through those experiences and through his word and through a lot of the things that began to happen to me, I suddenly realized how crazy my life had been and I wanted to do something different. And so from that experience in the prison camp when I came home, why eventually it led to where, not to be a preacher because I'm not a minister, I'm an engineer, I'm a graduate engineer, but I decided that I would really like to get into some church work, which led me into being a educational missionary in Brazil. So that was how that was your experience there. I know. Did you not go back? And wasn't there a family that uh, protected you somewhat? Or, and, and you went back to visit them in Italy, or did I read that in another book, Bill? You have read my book, haven't yeah. you? Well, now that's a long story. When I was shot down. My, I parachuted out into the water right off the coast of Italy, in northern Italy. And then when nighttime came, I tried to, I, I tried to climb the, the mountain that was, rose right up about two, th two to 3,000 feet right off the sea there. And I was climbing up the mountain. I began to hear voices, and I suddenly realized that there was he was speaking in German and so I hid in the bushes to try to to not in order not to be captured they passed me I kept crawling high pretty soon I ran into another group of the German soldiers I decided I was going the wrong way so I crawled back down the mountain I swim around to the another sector of the coast there and about four o'clock in the morning I climbed up I was exhausted and I went sound asleep and when I woke up there were two Italian peasants that were standing right over me. And they had come down. I'd crawled up into a grape vineyard. 
And they had come down there capturing grapes and found this man lying there in his underwear because I had taken off all my clothes except my underwear shorts in order to swim to shore. And so we began to communicate. They couldn't speak a word of English, and I couldn't speak a word of Italian, but I got from the sign language that they wanted to help me. And so we spent most of the day climbing this mountain. We got into the top of the mountain and went into a little village. But in that village, there was this Nazi Italian who realized what was going on. And next thing I knew, everybody was running, and I turned around, and there he was with a gun on me. And he said, damn Dominicana, damn Dominicana. He tied me up, called the Germans, they beat me up, and then I was carried off to the prison camp to where I had that experience. Well, 30 years later, I was traveling in Europe there with a group of congressmen from Brazil, and we went to Italy, and I told them my dream to go back someday and find those two ladies. And it's a long story of how I found them, but... I had 24 hours, I rented a car, I flew up to the general area, and I started wandering through these villages, and I found them both, and they were still alive. And we had this joyous reunion together. They thought I was dead. They didn't even know that I had survived because they'd been told that I was to be carried out to be executed. And... Uh, both of those ladies, we continued to correspondence until they passed away. I went back two or three times to visit them in the years since then, and my eight children have even gone over, and now we still correspondence with the children of those children, and they did everything they could to save me. And one short final thought on that, why, because they had tried to help me, this same man that, that had captured me, he told the Germans who they were, and the Germans came and got them and carried them off, and they were to be sent to Buchenwald because they had aided the enemy. But uh, the German commandant had a secretary who was a cousin of the two ladies, and she pleaded with them not to do this because they were just simple peasants that had found this man lying there in the vineyard, and so he finally set them free. Joel, that's a, f a fascinating uh, story. This is Henry McCarthy of WEHC 90.7. We're on the road today interviewing Joel C. Spock, an outstanding individual, and has had so many experiences in his life and has a book out. And I believe that's, again, the title is Every Road Leads Home. And so we're talking with him about his experiences. He survived World War II. And so this is Henry McCarthy, and we also have our excellent producer with us today, Richard Graves, who does an excellent job. Joel, I want to come back and talk a little bit more about you. How long were you a prisoner of war? I was a prisoner for about a year, a little bit less than a year. I was liberated in May of 45 by General Patton's Third Army. Well, now, where were you a prisoner of war? What was the location? The first prison that I was in was in Poland called Stalag Luft Three. There were about 10,000 men there, all officers, all Air Force, there in Stalag Luft Three, And they had divided us up into groups of 2,000 to a camp. And I stayed there in that particular prison camp up until January of 45. We were in Poland and right in the line for the battle of the Russians as they would begin to advance from the east. And 
once they got close enough, and I won't go into that part of it because, well, I might later on share that with you, but you were asking where, where I was. But from that, we, we went on a pretty, pretty terrible march for four days in a blizzard, loaded us up into boxcars, and they hauled us off to a town called Mooseburg. Mooseburg had a hundred thousand prisoners of war in it, and there we stayed in that particular spot. It was about 30 miles north of Munich until Patton's Third Army arrived and liberated us in, in May. Well, on that march, didn't you hear some music or some singing, as I recall, that you, um, you heard someone singing? Was, there, was this during Christmas? or um... No, that, uh, what you're speaking of there, I think, Henry, is... It was at Christmas time. We were still at Stalag Loop 3. We were in a blizzard. And all of a sudden, while a group of the soldiers had put together part of Handel's Messiah, and they were standing out there in the yard, and, and the Germans allowed them to do it, and they were singing. That was my experience of Christmas of that year, as they were singing part of Handel's Messiah, an all-male chorus. And you know, I don't know that any other Christmas that I've ever experienced was as meaningful as that particular one. Every now and then, while we'll be in a group, and can you rem they'll say, can you remember some Christmas in your lifetime? And when they do, I always come back to that particular experience when that group of men, all male voices, singing, those words, and they'd been written in by me, by I guess some of the POWs who really were musicians who knew the music, and they had written it all out from memory so that they could sing it together. It was a very meaningful experience, that's correct. Well, I remember that story from your book, and I think I remember you sharing that. We're going to move along today and, and talk now. After you, so you got out of prison, you got out of the uh, 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 military, and you went to, you came back. Did you meet your wife, Nancy? I've just had a charming, just interesting discussion with her about books. And we've just been talking about folks out there, you're fans of Lee Smith. We've just been talking about Lee and her latest book. But so talk a little bit about what happened after the war. Well, Henry, shortly after I got out of the war, I knew that my dream had always been to be an engineer. And so I was down at Kelly Field being discharged. And I'd heard at Georgia Tech, although we were in October, that they would still take veterans who were coming in, although the school had been going on for about a month. So I hitchhiked back from Texas all the way to Atlanta, and I got in line there to sign up to become a student at Georgia Tech. My dream had been to be an engineer. And then you know the most amazing thing happened is I was standing in that line, and it was a long line of us ex-soldiers, us veterans, and I got to talking to this guy in front of me, and we, I introduced myself to him as Jules Spock, and he introduced himself to me as Dort Payne. And we kept on talking, and finally I said, well, you know, I, was, I explained I was in the Air Force. He said, I was too. And I kept talking a bit more, and he, I said, well, you know, I was a, a POW. He said, well, I was too. And we, he, I told him I was a Stalag 3. This is impossible to believe. It, 
I was at Stalag Luther. He said, well, I was too. <laughs> and we didn't know each other from there. And then to top it all off, I said, well, I'm from Winston-Salem. Now, you will not believe this. He said, I am too. <laughs> we became roommates and close, close friends for all of our years of study at Georgia Tech. He became a very outstanding architect who designed a lot of the houses down in Augusta, Georgia, one for Eisenhower, I'm told. Well, while I was at Georgia Tech, all excited about being fulfilling my dream of being an engineer, all of a sudden I got overwhelmed with this feeling that I wanted to get into mission work. It's a program, it's a thought. I just thought it was the craziest thought that I'd ever had in my life. I tried to forget about it, and it got stronger. And I'd forget about it, and I'd get stronger. So finally, one night I just got on my knees and I said, Lord, I don't understand what in the world's going on here, but help me if you can, because my grades were going. I thought about a girl back in Winston-Salem that I'd been double dating with. I actually was engaged to somebody else at the time, and she was dating my best friend, and we would go out together. And I went home and called her up. We talked about it, and I found out maybe I could. Well, in all the process of what happened after that, I fell in love with the girl that I'd gone home to talk to about the missions, and we became married, and we've spent 60, I forget now, 60, Three years together since and this that is time. Nancy. And that Nancy. was Nancy, my and wife Nancy. She, we have five children and 16 grandchildren and 34 great-grandchildren. My goodness. <laughs> and she's been with you all the way. And now uh, you went to Brazil after that. Talk a little bit about your experiences in Brazil. That's right. Well, my experience in Brazil, well, one, my life, Henry, has been one continuous adventure. When I went to Brazil, as I mentioned, I did not have an interest. I did not have a feeling of being a minister, but I, I was able to become a professor in a college down there. I taught the sciences that I'd learned at Georgia Tech. All my life as a kid, I was in sports. I was a four-letter man at Reynolds High School. I became the director of of. of the coach first of, the, of some of our programs at our college and then director of the overall athletic program. I worked in that school and built a lot of the buildings there for it. And then I became convinced that time had come to have a Brazilian to be the head of the college. And we found one of our former students and he became, our, he became the director and I left. And I got involved in a massive literacy crusade, which carried me to another part of Brazil. I worked in that for five years, and we taught an enormous number of people who were literate to learn to read and to write. From there, I went to Brasilia. I was called down to work there with Congress for about four years, which I did. And it was a fascinating experience to travel all over the country of Brazil and to meet these people who'd been, who were known, recognized as the leaders of that nation. And then I was asked to be the director. I had to move again. I became in charge of all the work of old Brazil until I came home to be the moderator. So I had, and I ended up with one child living up in the Amazon Dungle where she went up with her husband and they built, they got a ranch, huge ranch up there, which the land was free because no one lived up there, and they raised cattle. 
and she spent there until she herself had to come home eventually. And so Nancy, uh, again, this is Henry McCarthy of WEHC 90.7, Poets and Writers. We're interviewing Jewel Spock today. He has a fascinating book uh, called Every Road Leads Home. So, uh, And I finally got home. And he finally got home. We're sitting in his living room here, and uh, I noticed the grandfather clock going off behind us, and I've had a, a wonderful discussion again, as I said, with Nancy about Lee Smith, one of her uh, favorite writers. So... Joe, I want to ask you now that you're a World War II veteran and uh, you're part of that generation, the greatest generation that's been referred to in many ways. And I noticed your flag on the front out here. And what does patriotism mean to you? I think this would be uh, interesting to hear from someone who has experienced all that you have. Henry, I, I really appreciate your asking that question. That flag never goes down. It ha it, the feeling came over me when I was in the prison camp. I shall never forget. It was the day when we were liberated. We were hungry. We were sick. We were tired. And we knew that freedom was there. And suddenly, after a battle that went, in, went on all day long, all around the, the camp, the fighting stopped. And a great big tank came rolling in, knocked down the front gate. Two GIs were sitting on this front. They didn't stop. They kept right on going over to the flagpole. And we then watched as the swastika went down. And then the stars and stripes went up. And as those stars and stripes went up, if you can imagine it, a hundred thousand voices, males, all screaming and cheering at the same time because we were new. We knew that we were free. I'll never forget that moment. That flag symbolizes to me the freedom that we have here in our wonderful America that no other place in the world has ever had or has ever known about. And I fly that flag is just a remembrance of how precious life is, especially to be here in America. That's what that flag is. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Joel. This is Henry McCarthy at WEHC 90.7 Poets and Writers. One last question about your book. What advice would you give writers who are going to write about themselves or, or write in general? What's your advice to them about writing a book? Oh, my goodness, Henry, you asked me a, a difficult question. I'm no writer, I don't feel. Like I said, I didn't really even want to write a book until they kept pestering me to do so, and I really wrote it for my children. I would say this, though, that from what my experience, the particular experience that I had, I found that by going away where the telephone didn't ring, and where I didn't have to go to any mm -hmm. meetings, mm -hmm. but where I could just be absolutely there, quiet, to think and begin to imagine and, and, and put my thoughts down. I suddenly discovered that all of these ideas came back in my mind where I wasn't constantly being interrupted. And then to put them down, and then you can go back and kind of ed edit them. And don't ever be in a hurry take a while to do all of that and then you'll be surprised at how beautiful the thoughts are that come out of that. That's about, 
That is for a very amateur writer who wrote a book that I'm excited about, but as I said at the time, it's the only book I think I shall ever write. Well, it's a wonderful book, and it's been such a pleasure and so meaningful for me to interview you today, Jewel Spock. And we'll end with those words of wisdom. Thank you for being on our program today. And thank you out there, listeners. And as we like to say on Poets and Writers, we write poems every day in our hearts, but we're often afraid to share them. So send me a few lines to McCarthyHenry at yahoo.com, and we'll put them on. Thank you so much, Richard Grace, for all your work on the program. You fill up my senses Like a night in a forest Like the mountains in springtime Like a walk in the rain Like a storm in the desert Like a sleepy blue ocean You fill up my senses, come fill me again, come let me love you, let me give my life.